0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest
1: today is Casey Cook, the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. Casey, thanks so much for taking
0: the time to join me. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here today, Jason. Thank you.
1: Today we're talking about uh, not just cloud, as we heard in your title, as the cloud architect, but uh, we're talking about something called the Center for Enablement, the C4E Let's just go over some basics. What is it? How to get started? Where are
0: its goals? Give us just a little bit of background. The Center for Enable was a, an engagement that the USDA went down a couple of years ago to start implementing our enterprise application integration service. So it's really to help enterprise like get an enterprise perspective of how we could deliver application integration in a more repeatable pattern. We partnered with Salesforce and MuleSoft MuleSoft at the time to work through that because the USDA had a large adoption of self-selected agencies to start using the tool. And then we adopted an enterprise capability to help reduce costs and increase capabilities. And the Center for Enablement was really that community of practice concept, really to take down the technical debt that would be established with a bunch of independent deployments and really enable the USDA to try and optimize our spend and take an enterprise approach to a solution and technology capability that was new to the department at the time.
1: You said the keywords words, new to the department at the time. So we will come back around to see where you are today. Was this started because you saw this part of USDA implementing their own API strategy and that part of the department start implementing their own API strategy? And you were worried about some of the disconnect that can happen when everyone kind of is, is very ad hoc in that way.
0: Uh, absolutely. It actually started with an internal effort within the office I was at, was deploying integration using a mule workers. And then another missionary wanted to start using that integration pattern for some of their modernization efforts. And, we, and they're like, hey, we know you deployed it. We would like to go deploy it. And I said, oh, Why don't we do this together and reduce our costs? Because managing two instances is essentially the same cost as managing one, as opposed to both of us paying to manage one independently. And then that started our adoption. FPAC was our early adopter. And we partnered with them to really get this off the ground and and start enabling, I believe, Farmers.gov was the program effort that was really a modernization effort to enable how they delivered their services. And then my office was very internally focused on tearing down technical debt on how we operated our internal functions to support customers. And that's where that the idea really got to be, well, we could do this together and adopt a pattern that's repeatable and reusable. So we're not both inventing the wheel ourselves. You know, that was 2017, 2018, I think. And Now we support seven missionaries out of the eight in the department of a few hundred production APIs deployed. Uh, I don't know the exact count today, but it's probably in the 300 plus range.
1: I wanna make sure folks know, we hear the term API application programming interface thrown around a lot. For a lot of us, when you say, what is an API? Oh, it's that piece of software that runs in between maybe two databases. From your perspective, how do you all define API? And just level set that for us. So if folks are listening and they're going, I've heard that term, but maybe I'm not 100% sure what
0: it means. From my perspective, it's not even software per se. It's more of the plumbing on how you move data between systems. And then you start getting into patterns that go into like your data model and these other pieces of. One system calls it X, the other calls it Y. You need to map those together. And that's where you start getting into like integration patterns. But those APIs are really that plumbing to help connect the systems because data is the real valuable asset there. And APIs are how you move them in a programmatic or non-human interfaced manner. And that can greatly increase the effectiveness of solutions and minimize the amount of human interaction needed for, for these repeatable often fast work that is executed through like an API driven concept.
1: And that's a, for one reason why you all probably got this idea or started with farmers.gov. I know this was a big push from USDA to, to modernize that, that website, that portal, because it was pulling in that same information time. And again, who are you? Where do you live? What, what benefits are you maybe already receiving, that, that was what drove this, this need, because a lot of the data that these sites need, whether, again, farmer or any other, it's the same over and over again.
0: Is that is that what's driving the API need? Oh, absolutely. With with FPAC offhand, I believe they had somewhere around 100 source systems. And when FPAC was formed, it was the National Resource Conservation Center, Farm Service Agency, and the Risk Management Agency all had independent programs and systems that they were then moved to a single mission area. And when they did that, they had some systems that were duplicative and some systems that were authoritative sources for different pieces. And that's really they were looking for some way to get those all plumbed back without having to tear down all the systems in the back end to enable this modernization and they could adopt a pattern that allowed them to pick and choose and modernize without having to really re-engineer every system they had. They used this API-driven program to, to really drive that effectiveness so they could move the front-end piece of the Farmers.gov into a more modern and, and still interact with legacy systems and modernize as they move forward and use those repeatable API patterns. that really created the uh, technical capability to allow them the flexibility to manage those couple hundred systems on the back end independently still and not have such a tight coupling, because uh, I believe that there's similar to project management, many other kind of discussions, they have those lines of communication. It's like three lines of communication for every two people or something, and it, and it exponentially grows. With point-to-point system integration, that's exactly the same problem. And so you could have five interconnections. I think it's somewhere around 25 independent connections to get all five of those fully integrated. I could have my math wrong, that's not my specialty, but the the the, the concept still lays proof and that's where FPAC and, and uh, the USDA has adopted this API integration pattern to create that framework so they're not tightly coupled systems and they have the flexibility to manage them independently because they're very distinct mission delivery programs, but we need to have a way to integrate them into a more data-driven, modernized solutions that we have at the department today. And the cust- and the mission area delivery that really demands that modernization capability.
1: And I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You keep saying uh, FPAC, that is that is the farmers.gov site. That, that's the part of USDA that runs farmers.gov.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That FPAC's the Farmers, Producers, and Conservation I might have that acronym a little wrong, but we'll, that's we'll look the that up. But, but mission area name.
1: Well, it's one of the mission areas for, for USDA. I want to make sure of that. So, if folks keep hearing this. They're not thinking it's the name of the system, but it's actually the name of the organization within uh, USDA that's, that's running farmers.gov. So, I appreciate that. The key here, I think, as well, is when you talk about the integration, is and you mentioned the the numbers of integration seven of eight mission support areas, roughly 300 plus APIs in production. The, the key piece here is to take legacy technology and make it accessible to the front end. So how is this kind of driven the modernization effort by USDA the reuse of it this idea of integration?
0: Well, that's where it gets to be very interesting because you have these like three layers of integration patterns that there is there's a system API that we use and that's how you connect a source system to the to the EAI solution. And then you have a next layer is a business and process layer. That's where you're connecting multiple system APIs to execute data enhancement or data revision to get you another business outcome that's that's really the experience API, that that's the piece where it goes to the farmers.gov in, in FPAC's scenario, where they took these multiple systems, integrate it, and then modified it to give it the payload to the API on what farmers.gov was expecting. So they were able to have that pattern that the systems weren't so tightly coupled, they couldn't make revisions in one system. And that allows them to actually, we can deprecate a system API without impacting the other business flows. We could potentially bring in a modernized solution because that other system, the, the experience API, still needs that same outcome and we only have to modify the bare minimum, and increase that reuse, and that really increases our ability to modernize because we can do a system by system modernization without impacting our whole API economy or API network.
1: Casey, you mentioned three levels of integration: system, business process layer. Did I did, is the other one the the the, the third one? Experience. Did I miss that?
0: Was that the system one? Uh, the third one's experience. experience. So the experience is like how you modify your payload to get to what the Far end system is expecting.
1: Thank you for that clarification. I may have, as I said, I may have just missed it on the, on that end. So, what does your current effort look like? You know, how, how are you all integrating? If if I'm at a mission area, I come to your office. Give me a sense of how how the process works today.
0: I'll say it's not optimal. USDA is really trying to mature how we operate, but the way we have it now is uh, we get to a discussion with the mission area around what their business objectives are and start discussing how cloud and APIs and these various different capabilities that we have within the department can deliver that mission success, that business objectives. So I focused highly on cloud today, and APIs are really one of the vehicles that help missionaries adopt cloud in a more effective manner while still having legacy systems and that having that ability to have that hybrid approach of Keeping the data where it is as we modernize has really been one of the most attractive pieces of how EAI has been adopted in the department. We need to do a new thing, but we have to integrate it with all these older systems. So we need to have a way to marry up all these different programs and efforts. And that API pattern that I was describing really enables that because you can really have to, you could have an SFTP on one side and a JSON Experience API on the other, JSON, not JSON API. On the other side there, um, without having to go rework either production system, use that middle layer in the middle with EAI. and really allows that flexibility and um, reusability pattern. Because once you prescribe, get some of these defined, you can build dependencies on them that are known and, and interactions and really get to your... The goal of having a more data driven by single sources of truth for information and start cutting down where the department has data duplicated in various systems and and organizations as you uh, alluded to at the early part of the discussion.
1: Casey, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Casey Cook, the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Casey Cook, the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. The piece that is also fascinating is you seem to get some pretty good pickup from folks. It always starts slow. You've got to get those first folks who are ready, and then others people see the benefits. How have you gone about kind of educating the rest of those missionaries? How have you gone about explaining why they should, uh, one- take part in this API integration effort? And two, why why are these APIs so important to them?
0: That's a great question that that really ties back to the very first question you had, is that center for enablement, was that building the, the collateral and some of those templates so we could create like an API discovery model so we could go through and discuss how integration might be benefited by an API pattern. It is not always the answer. There are times where it needs to be very rigid for a very specific reason a business use case but then there's other times where there's advantages and what we did is built this pattern and collateral to help make those data-driven decisions on how and what could be prioritized to achieve your mission outcome and then we built some documents to help um, allow the missionaries to do an assessment of the benefit the cost benefit analysis of if I modernize this, I would expect my mean time to delivery to go down by X or Y based on these various inputs. And we have a, a playbook that allows the missionaries or project teams to take that collateral and self-service, identify how this might benefit them. And then my team and other teams within the department and our integrator partners can help kind of go through that discussion and, and evolve that into Uh, Maybe a modernization plan or an effort that could meet some business objectives that an organization has.
1: How much of your time is spent just kind of explaining how APIs work? Again, it's one of those terms that we we get bandied about. Oh, I have an API for that. Oh, just create an API for that. And someone goes, "What?" I mean, I'm sure you get that all the time. What What the heck is an
0: API? (laughs) I we do. It's it's interesting, uh, especially when you get in discussion with the business team. You really talk to them about that, and it's. How can we help you? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm, I, I'm a program manager for this project. I don't know what you're, what's an API. I really it's it's discussing that kind of what are the advantages and things that these things that an API can produce? There are some days, it feels like we talk about it a lot, and there's other times where it's like, oh, I have, I've talked about an API with my kids because they were doing roadblocks or something and they were on to do something cool. It's interesting with the IoT growth within the within just the world and a lot of uh, APIs getting to be more and more of a, people are comfortable with that term at times, but then I'm in IT, so maybe that's just me.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the benefits of the API uh, in using this approach. You mentioned that one of the things that you can do in the playbook is the mission partners can kind of self-service, identify how it may benefit them. You know, if I do this, what's my cost-benefit analysis? Have you guys collected some data around what the savings are or the cost avoidance are? Or can you tell us what some of those benefits are that you are definitely seeing? I think beyond some of the things we've talked about, which is connecting back-end systems to front-end systems that are maybe legacy and and newer.
0: We have done some of that. I don't have numbers in front of me. Um, It's been a while since we've gotten to that level of engagement. A lot of times our missionary partners have a vendor that's already um, working on this and we're really supporting that discussion. There are times where we have this missionaries come to us and they're looking for help to kind of how could we do something like that and then help them get into that. We're working on a POC with like the forest service today on data integration internal to my office disc. We're doing digital infrastructure service center. We've done a lot of modernization on our billing processes because we have Billing and invoicing, because we're a managed services center. Uh, so we have a chargeback, showback models that we have to incorporate. Some days it can be tough, and other days it can really just, uh, they're all in before we even talk to them.
1: Which is a good feeling, right? That you know that yeah. they, they understand, you, this will save me money, whether it's a dollar or $5 or $5 million, it, it's, a, it's a good thing. The piece around the cloud, and, and we talk a lot about cloud computing. The key here is, if you have data centers, if you have cloud, if you have both, if you have either or, it, it really crosses those boundaries. And you as the cloud architect, is that the other piece here that folks should maybe understand or, or the way that if you're in this hybrid environment, that the APIs really can make that, create that bridge of the
0: data? Absolutely. That, that was probably one of the first places we started really to really see that advantage in how we deployed the EAI program. Was we would have, and farmers.gov is a good example. It is a, a software as a service platform on the back end from Salesforce. So that's where the customers are interacting. But within the government and within the Department of Agriculture, we had systems across various different locations, some cloud service providers, some within our disk hosting operations data center. And, and we were able to leverage the EAI platform to aggregate that information from all these disparate sources and provide the the Salesforce front-end one integration for all of its data. So we have this dependency that uh, we created. So we didn't have to open every USDA port and protocol system to allow access to Salesforce. We were able to aggregate it through this method to help ensure some consistency, some some visibility as well as some protections around cybersecurity as well. And, and then we were able to really keep a good eye on some of those integration and how the authorization models and things of that nature work, as opposed to having it independently managed at the 200 source systems. And that's one, that's some of the real power that you start getting is we're able to manage it using like a PKI type system or Java web token authentication and various different technologies, that we have that flexibility to adapt the EAI system and those APIs to fit the needs of the various different sources. It's not locked into, oh, well, we're only going to let you use username and password or API key. We can fluctuate based on the various different systems we're integrating with. So we can really let the missionaries bring whatever they have, and we can help tie it together for them.
1: I'm glad you brought up this idea of, of the security because one of the things that we hear some time and again from different security vendors is, well, API attacks is the next place where, where hackers are going to go to try to get while the things are traversing. So it's great to hear that. you. I'm glad you brought this up and the use of whether it's, a, as you said, a PKI or a Java web token or, or however you're doing it. Was that maybe the biggest hurdle you had to get through to get folks comfortable or at least get your security folks comfortable that how you're going to secure the the data in motion, the data, you know, as the data goes between two
0: systems. Absolutely. And that's really probably one of the more powerful or compelling pieces of that discussion is with this EAI platform, we can use the most stringent security possible for each connection and and patternize it as much as we can. And then by exception, back down to whatever the best option is for one single system. So it's not an all or nothing. We don't have to support everything at this lower level. We're able to really enhance that. And there's a lot of options and capability with like the EAI platforms powered by like MuleSoft. So they've added service mesh, the ability to tokenize data in transit. So there's a lot of really advanced capabilities that we're able to provide in a very consistent fashion, and then they've built in new policy enforcement engines and things like that that we have that we can leverage to help achieve those outcomes in a a systematic way once we've gotten security in these other groups. We can repeat those patterns without everybody having to go have that discussion. Well, what are you gonna let me do here? We, We can say, oh, here's how we've been successful in these scenarios, and here's how you can do it that way and be everybody's comfortable without having to have the discussion you know, a couple hundred times. Casey, on that note, let's take
1: a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest says is Casey Cook, the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest says is Casey Cook, the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. I know we've talked about why apis are important or why they matter but the opposite is of course they're secure but they're also very user-friendly and i think the customer experience piece is really important here to talk to because one of the whole points of farmers.gov from the very beginning was to serve farmers differently to take a bunch of different sites and systems and 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 things that they can do and really make it a one-stop shop Uh, is that the other benefit of apis that maybe folks maybe overlook is it really drives some of that customer experience uh, improvements
0: Oh, absolutely. We have several different mission areas, rural developments using ones where they're using it for like mortgage underwriting and all these other different use cases that they're interacting with these different groups and they're able to provide an API pattern that says, here's how we're going to publish our data. If you want to interact with it, bankers, you can follow this pattern and it's in a self-documenting way that we can provide it in a in an easily consumable and easily communicated pattern so we can have these discussions with other entities. And really in the future, I expect USDA to start having data sources and APIs that are publicly available that we could publish to for the American public to pull data in the right use cases where missionaries might have that need. And we could publish those so then user communities could then interact with us and start having those interactions with apps or different various systems that they may need on the other side.
1: That idea of sharing the APIs publicly, is that the next maybe hurdle to get through? Is that something that you have to get some of the security
0: folks, maybe even the the lawyers a a little more comfortable with? Oh, there's a lot of other people that are involved in that. But I think that's the evolution as we get more rigor and understanding of how we interact with the public and, and, and the demands from the public change. I think that's going to be the natural evolution. I think we have some agencies that are talking about doing that for some specific use cases now with uh, their cooperative agreement partners and and things of that nature to help expedite and, and allow that flexibility. They can just say, here's this specification that we'll keep open and you can interact with it this way, and here's how you go through a request process to gain access or Something of that nature, it makes it a lot more flexible and repeatable in a a more, it's much more of like an open data kind of concept, which that's, you know, Chris Alvarez and the chief data office at USDA, they have a whole vision about how they're going to handle that. So I don't want to speak out of turn.
1: All right. Obviously a lot more there to to dig out for maybe something to follow up with uh, Chris later on. Want to talk about what's coming next for this API integration strategy. You mentioned seven of eight mission areas. I'm sure you're working on that eighth mission area. And you said more th- more than 300 uses. Uh, wh- what's your next stop, whether it's for APIs generally or the C4E, how are you going, going to continue to evolve this effort?
0: We're really trying to be sensitive to what our mission areas need and try and kind of predict those new capabilities. I think it's really going to start interacting more with like AI, ML and that intelligent art, automation, robotics process automation kind of areas where we can really start increasing the capabilities and decreasing the the data spread, really starting to get towards single sources of truth for various different information that the Department of Agriculture has, because the data domain is really, that's the value that the organization has to a lot of our customers is driven by that data that we have. So decreasing that spread and really enabling the consumption of that in a more systematic use is probably the best. For the EAI pro- program specifically, we've been working with some customers we're working on. So we were using a lot of in server-based, uh, we're moving towards a containerization containerized platform for uh, EAI. So we're going to be able to move that those workers and integration points closer to where the data is and really increase performance, decrease that latency, and really drive that uh, enablement further by putting the workers closer to the, as USDA moves to using cloud smart programs and, and strategy, getting our workers closer to those integration points so we can have that API ecosystem that does really support it in a more broader nature and not have to drive everything back to our our on-premise data center or a specific cloud landing zone.
1: And I know talking with Gary Washington, the USDA CIO, over the years, one of his big goals is to continue to reduce the number of, networks you have, number of data centers you have, and really try to uh, you know, move as much to the cloud as possible, which, you know, Casey, I'll, I'll just have to ask you on this one, uh, roughly how many systems are in the cloud? Do you have any data around uh, the current use of cloud, whether it's software, hardware, software platform, or infrastructure as a service across
0: USDA? I don't have a number based on servers, but based on cloud objects, we're in excess of a million today under the cloud broker program. And an
1: object is is roughly what?
0: From a cloud perspective, that's every individual skew basically from every cloud provider. Uh, We're north of a million, so that would someday that might be a resource group or every object that a cloud service provider meters. We're tracking, so it's in excess of a million. Probably, probably monthly fluctuates around one point one to one point five million. And
1: just just for a comparison, is that a lot? Is that average for a a organization the size of USDA, or is that like we, that's fifty percent of where we think we'll be in in five years. Is anything <laughs> anything you know about that?
0: I don't know about where we're going to be in in five to ten years, but I expect that to be exponential because that's really one of the differences: the way that use, the way cloud is kind of implemented versus historically. We don't track in the same visual plane every router, switch, or object, or versus cloud; those are all things that they report. Everything's measurable. Almost everything's measurable in the cloud, and that's like one of those real values. Is you can really understand where every component plays a factor, and you can drive your performance capabilities. But that's also the thing that gives uh, cybersecurity heartburn at night because there's so many variations available today, and that's really what we're trying to do at the USDA, based on Gary's vision and and Miss Janelle Deboer, our uh, USDA CISO, is really to understand those patterns and and create a repeatable pattern because usda is large um, comparatively to dod we're small but we're large in the public sector and and i think that number is going to grow I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's double the next if we talk in two years it's probably gonna be double as we modernize and grow but the other part of that is the interesting thing is we'll move the the virtual machine numbers will go down we'll move more towards a firm or short-lived systems that were, like, exist within the cloud that are transient nature. They're only there to execute a single task and then they kind of disappear. That also drives up that number from the cloud because it was online for three or four seconds to run a compute task. And then it's it's gone because it's not doing that job anymore. So it's kind of an interesting new paradigm for us.
1: I know there's a lot more to talk about around cloud. We'll get Gary on the show eventually to get him to uh, give us an update A model like this, when you're talking about API reuse, you're talking about whether it's C4E or an integration strategy. This is something that's not just something USDA will use and no one else will. I mean, I think a lot of agencies would be interested in this. Beyond talking to folks like myself, which we always appreciate, are you starting to kind of get out and try to explain to other agencies that they can beg, borrow, and steal from USDA around, again, C4E, API strategy, or just even the APIs themselves?
0: Absolutely. So GSA's uh, Gray Brooks used to run an API user community. We interacted with them quite a bit. And that's uh, GSA's and Egan. And Treasury is actually a very unique circumstance. USDA reused code from the Treasury Department because they had proven and they had done an integration with the Office of Personnel Management, OPM. And our Office of Human Resources wanted to replicate that and the Treasury Department provided us their code, and then we modified it to deliver for USDA. So we took something, I think Treasury said it took six months to develop. We, I think we cut that in half to make it fit for USDA's unique circumstances. But that also allowed that, proving that the government could share code and reuse and drive down our costs by reusing collateral from another agency. We've shared a lot of our, I I mentioned GSAs and Egan. Um, We've shared a lot of collateral from our Center for Enablement, those playbooks and things like that for very similar reasons. So they could kind of move through those concepts and start building up that same kind of technical collateral to enable the discussions at their side on where APIs and other projects might be more, more viable and really like get some rigor around that piece. Casey, I'm not
1: sure you can offer much more, but the Treasury example is really a great one. Was it for specifically around HR uh, services? Was there anything more you can tell us about it? Is there anything more you know
0: offhand? It was for a new hire process where it was the interaction to increase the speed for onboarding. Um, it was tied to how USDA does. This is not my specialty, uh, hiring and firing and all that. Um, but our it was through our uh, OHRM where they were using a back end system to interact with the new hire process on OPM side so they could get the authority to work and cut down that time for the federal employee hiring process. Because I'm sure you've heard that that can take a little while at times. Where OPM and Treasury both had done similar experiences and they suggested that we follow that. And it was a real, that's really where the federal government. I hope to see us moving in that direction, because that's really, there's a lot of places where the government could learn from each other in a more, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It would be more beneficial for the, for everybody involved, if we were uh, sharing more.
1: Uh, absolutely, and I think that's why it's so interesting to me is a great use case, because there's always that concern about, you know, when if you want to share data if SSA wants to share data with IRS you got to have a computer matching agreement and it became became so complicated even though everybody's on the quote unquote same team that it really it really causes so much trouble but sharing code like that is the other piece that i think has been promoted over the last you know 10 12 15 years and so it's it's great when we hear that that that's actually happening
0: that memorandum of agreement that you're describing is a great example of a new capability we have within our platform that we can do API contracts where we can actually throttle an API based on policy. So we can guarantee with our partners that we're not gonna overrun a system because they get too many requests that it's not gonna impact their operational system. And I believe that's really some of the value that getting through these discussions and building those trust patterns and those data patterns, we can use those API contracts to prove and, and gain that trust that these interactions aren't going to be detrimental and really benefit the other organizations and really drive down that data footprint. That There's a lot of duplicative data across the government, I'm sure.
1: And just roughly what's that entail? Meaning if USDA, if your office is working with another part of USDA, another missionary and two missionaries need to you bro- kind of broker that deal. I know not cloud broker, but broker that, maybe walk me through how that would work. And when you say throttle an API, meaning the requests for data are just not overwhelming the system that would slow down and and impact the system's usefulness for the, for the mission area. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. It's a, I said API contract. It's not a written contract. It's a technical API policy to control the, how many requests there's a lot of different variations you can have, how many authentication requests per hour, per minute, I believe. And then you can also, meter the response or the bandwidth or, or sorry not bandwidth payload so you can say I don't want you to be able to pull more than 100 megs at a time or whatever those and we can really negotiate those and and have that discussion between the two groups really that's one of the most important things is data belongs to the business not to it we're the stewards of it to help enable business Casey on that note let's
1: take a quick break when we come back we can continue our conversation my guest says is Casey Cook the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Casey Cook, the Cloud Architecture Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. Casey, you were kind enough to mention a few of the vendors who took part in this, but other vendors who will listen to this show may go, well, I want to get involved. I want to provide some help, or I want to be a part of this in some way. What should other vendors know about the C4E and or USDA's broader API integration strategy?
0: Really, it's it's driven by what the business needs are of the organization, and it, as as they onboard, if they're going to use like something like our EAI platform, we have a lot of technical collateral we can help enable them so they can start from above zero. They don't have to go learn all the ins and outs that the department has or the historical. Or institutional knowledge that may often be kind of a, a big stepping stone as vendor partners come in and help support, and that's really what we want to do is help provide that capability. So it's not uh, every mission area, every vendor is proposing a new solution because that's kind of an anti-pattern to best use of government funds, right? Like not everything should be its own silo, and, and it's not a, a forceful thing. It's more of a if you want to participate, we can help. Here's some practices. We can share the collateral. If you don't use it, great. If you do use it, outstanding. Um, But we want to be there to help enable that and allow the missionaries to deliver to the American public faster and and cut down on costs and, and really be smart in how we execute our programs.
1: At the same time, other agencies that are listening may say, you know, we should do the same exact thing. Would you offer them any advice as they're setting up again, uh, whether it's their own version of C 4 C4E or or their own API integration strategy, any lessons learned the hard way that you'd say, you know, watch out for this pothole,
0: don't step in it too deep? Yeah, I, I would say really from the OCIO side, one of the things that I think is really, it's let the business determine the solution and you help find that, what do they need and help accomplish that outcome. Like help them define the outcome and get that smart business. Uh, Don't choose a tool and then force everybody to use it. That's uh, not our goal. Uh, We we're partnered with a vendor. We're using that, but that was based out of other selections and it drove higher consumption because it was a tool we had that we knew how to use and we could increase usage and decrease the costs. Uh, Our platform costs, I believe we're still somewhere around, we're saving around a million dollars a year because every missionary is not managing the platform. They don't ATO it every year. My team does that once every year. We continuously update based on revisions. We're, we're reacting to our customers' needs as it comes up and really meeting them where they're at. It's not really about forcing people to do something away. It's how can you do it better? And maybe our way is not better. We can change. We'll, we can adopt other tools. It just, that really is going to change and, and evolve based on, how our customers come to us and really try and partner with us better together, I think is what I think Simon Senek said yesterday on Twitter, Twitter or something.
1: Casey, we spent a lot of time talking about APIs, cloud integration. I- I'm sure that your plate is more than just those two main things. What else uh, is on your priority list? What else are you working on over the next six or nine months?
0: Within uh, the USDA, we're really evolving what we call ag cloud. That's a- our ecosystem of enterprise cloud capabilities to provide that governance and management at and optimization at the enterprise level to really enable our missionaries to adopt and leverage cloud in a in a very cloud smart fashion. So we want to be able to measure, measure what matters, but do kind of that same idea and help take the toil out of the platform and infrastructure management and that cloud modernization piece by following the same kind of concepts we did with the Center for Enablement, but with a more broader cloud. USDA has like seven cloud landing zones today. What we really wanna do is start driving those efficiencies and how we can better utilize those capabilities and enhance and modernize across the department without every project having to go develop their own security posture, their authorization mechanisms, logging strategy. We wanna start doing that at the department level and all the places where it's smart and then letting the missionaries have the latitude to do everything they need to do to deliver their mission without on all these repetitive uh duplicative efforts across the multiple cloud vendors and really enable usda's multi-cloud approach because the broad missionary um delivery that we have uh we, we have seven clouds because we need to have those seven cloud landing zones because the missionaries needed to deliver their mission area based on the specific needs of each business and program office within the department.
1: Is the goal to get down from seven landing zones to two or three, or is it just make those landing zones more efficient by having enterprise services that cut across all of them, whether it's ICAM, as you said, or ATO or, or whatever?
0: I don't know about cutting it down. So we, have three or four providers and then they have a commercial and a gov instance there's feature parity that kind of drive customers to one or the other as well as there's sometimes some cost differences and capabilities so it's a it's a very unique situation where you have different use cases that kind of justify all of those and I I think that's really you hit the nail on the head it's to take those common pieces and give that common experience whether it's on Amazon Gov, Azure Gov, Azure Commercial, Amazon Commercial, Google Cloud Computer, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or disks, private cloud landing zone that we also support within our data center. Uh, Really, it's that common experience, so it doesn't really matter where you go. You're going to have the same kind of structure and capabilities at your fingertips to really enable mission delivery without having to go do everything on your own.
1: All right. I know there's a lot more to talk to. Casey, you've been very generous with your time, so I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot about APIs and also where USDA is heading with their modernization efforts. So let me thank my guest. Casey Cook is the Cloud Architect Branch Chief at the Agriculture Department. Casey, thanks so much for taking the time today.
0: Thank you very much, Jason, and uh, Federal News Network for having us, having me on here today. I'm
1: Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.